0: We live in a culture that values style over substance. Wouldn't you agree? That's true. You can see it, uh, I think, in the in the dating world, right? When you when you when you do the match profile and all that, and you put these pictures, and you, what you're trying to do is say, "This is this is the image of me. This is how I present here." Um, what level of substance there is beneath you as a person is not like always readily a, a apparent to people or whatever. So we, we really are looking at like a lot of that uh, that surface kind of stuff and it's very easy for us, not just in dating but in a lot of ways, to get sucked into things that look good on the outside but aren't necessarily great on the inside. And we, we see someone and we go, that's the most beautiful person I've ever seen. If If only I could be with them, I would be so happy. And it's like that's probably not true and um, on, on any level, you know, but but we get sucked into that image kind of stuff. I, I remember when my wife and I were first dating in college, and, um, you know, we're, we're dating. I was you know, attracted to her, and there was, there was all that, and, and uh, she came down to visit me in Florida. We were in college in Cincinnati, Ohio, but we I was down on, on break in Florida, and she came down to visit, and it was an important visit because as she was coming down to see me, she was going to meet my mentor, uh, the senior pastor of my home church, Dave, uh, she was going to meet him, and that was really important for a couple reasons. One, I wanted his approval of her. I wanted him, because he's such an important figure in my life, and I wanted him to kind of give the thumbs up as a guy who was like a dad to me to say, she's great, which I already thought she was, but it, but it was also important for her to meet him to find out if I was okay, because I could sort of present as a bit flashy or whatever and, like, style or whatever and not, not enough substance there, you know. And so she wanted to, like, meet my people and find out, like, from my people, is he really okay? Is he really, like, legit, you know. And so it was important. And uh, as she met Dave and, and talked, um, he gave her this piece of advice. And I think if you're dating, this is wonderful advice. So if you're going to, like, write this down, okay. Uh, because, now, Dave was... a a country boy from the mountains of North Carolina, and uh, so he had a way with words, and uh, he, you know, she's asking about me or whatever, and and his advice to her was, make sure there are potatoes underneath that gravy, and I thought that was brilliant. (laughs) That's just great, and that's great advice for dating. If you're going to marry someone or whatever, you're thinking long-term with someone, you got to make sure there's potatoes underneath that gravy, because the gravy will i don't know eventually slide off or something i don't know They're like there needs to be substance there because you're going to be married long term to substance and that's not true of like just true of dating relationships there needs to be potatoes underneath the gravy in a lot of things. When you go visit a college, make sure there's more to the college than a great student center with a rock climbing wall. Because you're going to spend four years there, and you're going to get an education, right? If you're going to if you're going to take a job, make sure there's something really going on there, and they're not just dazzling you in a in an interview. Make sure there's something of substance really happening there um, with 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 the school. Um, and that's true of, of schools, of taking jobs, of dating, and it's also true with our faith. There needs to be substance underneath the style. In our Instagrammed world, there's a great temptation to just lead with style and have it be all about that. And if you have enough time and money, you can probably fake style for a long time. But it's very hard to fake substance over the long period. And the church has fallen victim to this as well. The church has, has said, you know, hey, let's just give people flash. And, and, and smoke and mirrors and, 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 and just sizzle. You know, let's give them sizzle, not steak. And, and, uh, and people will be into that. And the temptations there in the church, like, look, people want a quick and easy fix. And if I can just give people the Jesus pill and they'll take it and then they're going to be better in the morning. It's going to be awesome. The, that temptation is there even in the church to chase after uh, style, not substance. And that temptation was there in Jesus' day as well, When Jesus walks into Jerusalem in, in the last, the final week of his life, in around the year 27 AD, when he walks into that culture, he is walking into a culture that is valuing style over substance. It is a group of people that appear to be religious, the Jews of the first century. They pray, but when they pray, they make a big show of it so everyone can see that they're praying. They want to look good, not actually be good. When they fast, they're not eating for whatever period of time. They're walking around looking sad and letting everybody know that I'm fasting and aren't I sad and aren't I holy. They're making a show of it. When they're giving money to the temple, they're announcing it with trumpets. They're actually making a scene of their financial giving. And Jesus walks into that world and he's like, you guys are playing at your faith. You are acting like one thing on the outside. you got the style of it, but there's no substance there. Your heart's not in it. This is why all the Old Testament prophets speaking for God were critical of Israel saying, your, your lips praise me, but your heart is far from me. And Jesus is very critical of that as he walks into that religious culture in the final week of his life. They looked good, but underneath, something was rotting on the inside. Have you ever experienced that with someone you get into a relationship with someone, and on the surface, they look great, but you get to know them, and you go, something's rotting on the inside. There's nothing really here. Or maybe harder question, have you ever noticed that in yourself, where you're so busy managing the externals, and, and if you take a moment to look inward, you go, man, something's rotting inside here, um, and, I, and I, need to, I need to think about that. Well, just as we can see that sometimes in other people, God can see that in us and in other people also. And so I wanna read to you uh, an event in the final week of Jesus, and this is a bizarre story. It's really, it's really weird, and it, it comes on the Tuesday of the final week of Jesus' life. He's gonna be crucified on Friday. We're gonna lead up to that at Good Friday here in April and, and the resurrection on Sunday, Easter Sunday. But on that Tuesday of that final week, he had just gone last week, Topher taught, and he did a great job teaching through. Uh, Jesus goes into the temple on that Monday, and he kind of cleans house. He flips over tables. It's, it's just a, he's, he's kind of challenging the authority of, of the first century Jews and, uh, and kind of expresses some anger there. And then he's going to go back to the temple on Tuesday. But that morning, as he's walking to the temple, um, Matthew records this particular situation. And I just got to tell you up front as we read it, It's going to read really weird and it's going to seem like Jesus is petty and angry, but I think if you get the context of it, you need to understand that Jesus is very intelligent and when he's doing something, he's doing it on purpose, but it's weird. So let me me read it to you. Starting with Matthew 21, this is Jesus and his disciples visiting the temple on Tuesday of the final week of his life. Uh, Matthew 21, starting with verse 18. In the morning, as he was returning to the city, he became hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it but only leaves. And he said to it, may no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. All right, that's a little weird. So he's going with his disciples. They're walking into the city. And on the way there, they see a fig tree. And it's got leaves on it. We know this. There's leaves on it. And here's another detail. When Mark tells the same account, Mark adds this detail. There are no figs on the tree, for it was not the season for figs. So hold up. (laughs) Jesus walks up to a tree, hoping to get figs off of it. They're not in in season. He probably knows that. And then he's like, you don't have figs. Curse you. And, And then the tree withers up, sort of miraculously. That's weird. And it looks a little bit like petty and like angry and like, Dude, just calm down. Like, why are you expecting a fig tree that's not in season yet to have figs? Like, what's going on there? Um, it's bizarre. Bertrand Russell was the famous atheist back in the early 1900s in England. And he, wrote, he famously wrote a book, uh, or I guess it was a speech that turned into a book called Why I Am Not a Christian. And he was uh, atheist before that. It was cool to be atheist. And um, he writes this thing about why I'm not a Christian. And he talks about this fig tree story. And, and I want you to hear what he said because I think we can relate to it. He says this. Then there is the curious story of the fig tree, which always rather puzzled me. You remember what happened about the fig tree? He was hungry. And seeing a fig tree afar off having leaves, he came if, if happily he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of figs was not yet And Jesus answered and said unto it, No man eat fruit of the tree hereafter forever. And Peter saith unto him, Master, behold the fig tree which thou cursest is withered away. This is a very curious story because it was not the right time of year for figs and you really could not blame the tree. I cannot myself feel that either in the matter of wisdom or in the matter of virtue, Christ stands quite as high as some other people known to history. I think I should put Buddha and Socrates above him in those respects. Now, I read that, and I've read other things from Bertrand Russell, and usually what I think is not, oh, um, I don't think, man, he's right. Jesus is weird. Usually what I think is Bertrand Russell just doesn't understand the story. Uh, and, and over and over, I feel like his commentary there tells us more about him than it does about Jesus. Because Jesus is intelligent, and there's more going on here. Once you learn the context and the culture, there's more going on than what appears on the surface. Let me I I get his concern, but let's dig deeper into it. First of all, in the springtime when the tree is getting leaves, when a fig tree is getting leaves, it doesn't have its fruit yet. But what it does have are these little nodules on the tree that will become the fruit. And it was very common for travelers as they're walking by to pick those off and eat them because they are sweet and they, they were good for food. So when you see the tree from far off and you see there's leaves on it and you walk up to it and it doesn't have nodules on it, not even figs, but even the, the beginning of that, you know something's wrong in the root of this tree. There's something rotten on the inside of this thing. Um, and, and that's what Jesus saw there as, as he looked at that. Now think about this, think about the greater context here, when and where, um, is, is this happening? This is happening when he's approaching Jerusalem, and where is he going? And what would he be near? He's going to uh, the, the the temple. He's visiting the temple. Now, the temple in Jewish life is a big deal. In the heart, if you were to go there today, you would see in the heart of Old Town Jerusalem, the old city on the highest hill. There's a, a, a big flat rock. It's called the Temple Mount. The side of that that you can walk up to is called the Wailing Wall. You've probably heard that where people pray. Um, But you go up on top of it, on top of that rock in this high point in the city, uh, that's where the temple sat in Jesus' day. And the temple is much bigger than a church building. Do you know how maybe a generation ago, the way people would talk about a church building, they would say things like to kids, like, don't run, this is God's house, right? No, you can't say, you can't cuss in church, this is where God, like, lives or whatever, Take that idea that God dwells in a place and multiply that by about a thousand, and you have a sense of how important the temple was to the Jews. It has the holy place, the most holy place. It's this place where God dwells on Earth. It is the center of their religious, political, cultural, social life. Everything revolves around the temple. You come to the temple, you offer sacrifices. This is the way you relate to God is through that building. So it's a really big deal. Um, and when Jesus walks in the previous week, as Topher talked about last week, um, they've kind of done some things with it and made it uh, a a bit of a mess, and Jesus is very frustrated with that, that people are oppressing the poor, that people are um, going through the rituals of their faith, but their heart is not in it, that they are all sizzle and no steak, they are all gravy and no potatoes. And so what he does with the fig tree is he actually gives them an object lesson about that. Here's why. The fig tree is a symbol of flourishing Israel. So all through the Old Testament, you see this idea pop up, and the prophets talk about it, uh, 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 that the fig tree is a symbol of like flourishing and prosperity in, in the nation. Uh, Joel chapter 2, one of the Old Testament prophets, he says this, Fear not, O land. Be glad and rejoice, for the Lord has done great things. Fear not you beasts of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness are green. The tree bears its fruit. The fig tree and vine give their full yield. The idea that when the fig tree is in bloom and it's giving its full yield and the vine is bringing the grapes and the wine and all that, this is prosperity. This is flourishing. This is the good life. You see under the time of Solomon, it talks about in First in Kings, that every man, everyone was like, I want to live under my own vine and fig tree. Right? There are people that that's Hamilton, y'all. That's why I sang it. (laughs) You're like, why is he singing that right now? Hamilton. George Washington says that in Hamilton about America, that we're going to live under our own vine and our fig tree. Uh, That's the image of it, of that flourishing and peace and prosperity is through the fig tree. So it's a symbol in Israel um, that, so when Jesus curses a fig tree, he's cursing, in a sense, the national symbol. But more than that, There's some evidence to suggest that in the first century, the temple itself had um, as its symbol the fig tree, that the temple and the fig tree were very much connected, and it was sort of an emblem of the temple as this prosperity and all that, the the fig tree, and and sort of represented. Kind of like in Virginia, we have a state flower, you know, which is tobacco. Uh, (laughs) It's not. I I found out last service, it's the dogwood, y'all, just in case you didn't know, it's dogwood. Uh, I didn't know. I thought, you know, Altria had me fooled. I thought it was tobacco. But, you know, you have state flower, that kind of idea. Well, in, in that day, the, the, the state, the, the, not state, but the, the temple symbol is the, the fig tree. And so what does it mean that Jesus curses that, this sort of national symbol, this temple symbol? Um, I, I think for them, that fig tree, as they walk up to it, it looked good because the leaves were there. But the truth is, something was rotten in it, and it was dead. And that's a way that Jesus was giving them a symbol of first century Judaism. It is all gravy and no potatoes. People are theoretically serving God, but the truth is, their hearts are far from him. They're not actually loving God. They're not actually loving their neighbors. Now, let me tell you where this goes historically. Four decades after Jesus does that, Around the year 70 AD, the Roman Empire comes in and puts the smack down on Jerusalem and sieges the city. They come in and they destroy the temple. The Jews leave and they go up, uh, they go down to the Dead Sea. Um, a lot, loads of people are killed. Um, and the temple gets destroyed, just laid waste. They take all the stuff out of it. They, they ransack the whole thing, just a pile of rubble. Um, and in many ways, Judaism has never recovered from that. To this day... There's no temple there anymore. It was everything, and then it was gone. Now, that, that rock at the top of that hill is controlled by the Muslims, and the Al-Aqsa uh, Mosque is up there, and the Dome of the Rock, if you see pictures of it today, it's a shrine, a Muslim shrine that's there. The Jews, the Orthodox Jews, are not even allowed to go up there and walk around. I, I got to when I was there because I'm not an Orthodox Jew, and so I could, I could walk around up there. But they're not even allowed on it. It's, it's, it's that far removed. The most holy place in all of their faith is they, they can get close, but they, they, they can only look at it from a distance. And, and that's, uh, that's powerful. And, and it, it was a huge, uh, a huge event. And I wonder if the disciples, when they, saw the temp- when they saw the temple get destroyed in 70 AD, as they're at that point really old people, right? I wonder if they looked at that and they were like, oh, the fig tree. Oh, yeah, I remember that thing Jesus did with the fig tree? That was, like, foreshadowing this. I don't know if they thought that in the moment, but I wonder if they kind of piece some things together for them where they're like, oh, this is, this is serious. Um, Jesus was serious about that. So here's a couple things I want us to get out of this story for us today because you're just like, okay, so he cursed the fig tree. Here's, here's the thing. Number one, you were meant to produce fruit. You and I were meant to to make something with our lives as we follow Christ. It's supposed to be growing towards something. The fruit of the Spirit, the fruit that God puts in us, Paul writes about in Galatians 5. Listen to the way he describes it. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Paul says the fruit of the Spirit, God's Spirit at work in you, is supposed to be producing something in you and in, in me. We're, we're supposed to be growing in love, joy, peace, patience. Now, now, notice it doesn't say the fruits of the Spirit. It's not multiple things. In, in a sense, these are all one thing. This is what God is doing in us. And that, that, that actually makes sense. You can't grow in peace, but, but not be growing in patience. Like, those things are related. You can't be growing in love, but not growing in kindness at all. Those things are related. These things all work together. They're not individual things that you sort of staple onto the tree and hope that that looks like growth. These are things that are coming out of the root, which is the spirit within us, and he's working together to do all of these things uh, inside of us. We were meant to produce fruit. Just in in the same way that other things produce fruit. You go to college. If you go to college, the fruit of college is an education and hopefully some useful job skills, right? That's why you go there. You're hoping it will produce something in you. When you go to a restaurant, the fruit of that is a full stomach. I'm going there, and I want something, and uh, I got it. Okay, there, there, was, there, was, there was fruit of that. You send your kid to soccer camp, the fruit of that is that they're going to come out of soccer camp as a better soccer player. That's the fruit of it. And so there, there's, a, there's a, the, the fruit of the life in Christ for those who have given their lives to him and they're baptized in him are, are, are these things here all, all, all together. And that means if you've been a Christian for a week or a year, for 10 years or a couple decades you should look at this list and go am i growing in this am i more joyful do i have more patience am i growing in my faithfulness am i becoming more gentle how? and and this isn't that's not a question for you to ask about your neighbor it's not like am i more patient than she is cuz that's what we would love to do how patient are you well that guy is super impatient i'm pretty good in relative No, ask this about you. Are you more patient than you used to be? Are you more loving than you used to be? Are you more kind than you used to be? Is there evidence of uh, direction there, of maturity, of of growth? That's, That's what's supposed to be going on, that we're meant to produce fruit. And if you're not, if there's no evidence of that, why not? To be disciples is to bear fruit. And if there's no fruit, there's probably no actual genuine belief in you. So how does the fruit grow actually inside? What does that process look like? Well, Jesus talks about it two days later when he, pray, when he, when he meets with his disciples on Thursday. So this happened on the Tuesday. On the Thursday, he's going to meet with them and have dinner, the Last Supper is what it's called. And um, during that, He's going to have a, 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 there's a long speech he kind of gives. It's recorded in the book of John. And he's going to tell them something that's pretty interesting here. John 15, let me read it to you. He says to them, I am the true, true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So there's two pieces of that. One Uh, every branch that does not bear fruit he's going to take away. There's Legitimately, God will cut people out. And that's hard to sit with, this idea that there are going to be people who are separated from God, who are not with God, who are not with God now and in eternity, because they're not bearing any fruit. Or maybe to say it this way, they're not interested in that. They're not following him. They're not trying to know God. You know people in your life that have no interest in God. God's not going to force himself upon those people. He's going to make himself available, but he gave us a free will for a reason that we, could, that we would choose. And so there are going to be people who are going to say, I don't want that God thing. And they walk away, and, and he says they'll be cut off. But the second part of this is every branch that does bear fruit, if there is growth, he's going to prune it so that it can grow even more. There's a pruning process where things are cut. Not things that are dead are cut off, but things that are growing are cut away so that new things can actually grow. Um, God will prune us. He prunes people. He prunes churches, large groups. Uh, He he cuts things away. Have you seen how pruning works, like, kind of out in the world? Um, Crape myrtles are a great example I drove down Patterson the other day, and I saw a whole line of crape myrtles, which at this point looked like a line of sticks. They are cut down so far, it was like a line of twigs. I'm like, that's really not the prettiest, like, majestic line of trees you got there. You know, it's like, geez, that doesn't look so great. Well, you've got to trim those things way back, because apparently they'll, like, take over the world if you, don't, if you don't trim them back. I mean, they're pretty aggressive or whatever. So you prune them back, and then they grow. Uh, a friend of mine, Tim, moved to the country out in Harrisonburg, And he said when he got out there, he said there was a a blackberry bush, and it was kind of overgrown, this big bush. And he said it had all these fruit on it. And he said, but you grab them and you eat them. And he said that the fruit was kind of small and it was really bitter. And so they trimmed it back. And he said, "You, you trim back the blackberry bush, and it's like, you know, a foot off the ground. It become from this big bush, it becomes just this tiny thing. And he said the next season when it grew back, the fruit is big, and it's ripe, and it's good, and it's sweet. And that's just the way the process works. And I really think God does something like that with us. He prunes us and trims some things back. And I got to be honest, that process kind of sucks. Like it, it, it hurts to be cut on. It's necessary, but it hurts. Think about if they didn't give you anesthesia and they did like heart surgery on you. How long would it be before you told them to stop doing it? You know? <laughs> they grab a knife and they're like, I'm just going to, and you'd be like, stop that. No, I don't. And they're like, yeah, but something's broken inside you. I don't care. That hurts. You're like cutting me. You would, and you would never get well because you would refuse to be cut. That's why they give you something for that, right? This is what God does with us. He cuts things back. Sometimes things that are growing, he cuts them back so that they will grow more. And that's hard. I look back in my own life, periods where I grew the most were periods of pain. And I've got my list. You've got your list, stuff you've gone through. My dad didn't talk to me for 15 years when we talked one time. Um, That's hard. And I had a lot of anger about that and a lot of frustration that, that still comes up in me from time to time. But God was faithful in that and taught me a lot about being a dad through that. We thought my oldest son, if you were here years ago, we thought my oldest son had cancer for a, a period of time, and that was scary. And um, they, my kids came up to me after. They're can we say that Colin's a cancer survivor? I'm like, he didn't have cancer. No, he's not a cancer. No, that's not, that's not what happened. No, we thought, and it was scary, and the doctors were talking to us as if that was the case, but that's not what happened. Um, but um, that was scary stuff. And... Um, I, I learned to lean on God in a way there that I wouldn't have learned in another way, I think. Um, my mentor, Dave, the, the potatoes and gravy guy, he died a year ago this week. I, I, I went down there to the funeral. Um, that was hard. There have been a lot of times in the last year where I've just sat at my desk and like, I just wish I could talk to Dave. And he's not there to talk to. And... My guess is, you have somebody like that, that you'd go, I wish I could talk to, and she's not there anymore. He's not there. Um, That relationship is over, broken. And sometimes, God is allowing those things as a way of pruning us, as a way of Making something better, of making us bear more fruit, and I wish there was another way. I wish it was easier. I wish it didn't hurt so much to be cut back. But um, my experience has been that even though God cuts, He's good, and He removes some things in us that needed to be removed, and there can be growth there. There's actually not a lot of growth from success. I know, depending on where you're at in your life, you may not believe that. You know, I think, I think in our early 20s we chase success and think that's where it's going to be at. But there's not a lot of spiritual value to that. There's not a lot of growth there. If all your graphs go up and to the right, there's a big tendency to not learn anything from that. It's in those moments of pain when God prunes that we learn things and that we grow. Now, I've wrestled with this idea. I love good time Jesus. I love the Jesus that turns water into wine, walks on water, tells the waves to stop, heals people, says nice things. But the Scripture records Jesus as a man of sorrows. And I don't want that Jesus. I like to have a good time. What does it mean that he's a man of sorrows? And if I'm going to follow him, what does it mean that I have to become a man of sorrows? And that I have to embrace pain too. I think there's something in that. You know, if the point of life is to be happy, like our culture kind of tells us it is, then Jesus is doing it wrong. Because he's going to end on the cross. Maybe he knew something we, we didn't know about what really brings about growth in us. I mean, for someone like me who likes to be upbeat, this is a hard lesson. So number one, look at fruit are you bearing fruit and and think about the pruning process that God is going to use in you to to do it and then number 2 if you aren't producing fruit look at the roots of you look at what's going on inside from a distance as Jesus approaches the fig tree it looks good it has leaves it it presents as the fig tree has got it together it is it is normal and fine but on closer inspection it was like there's nothing there's nothing actually there. And so there's a connection there between what is being produced on the outside and who we actually are on the inside. There's, a, there's a, a deep connection there. And so if you're not producing fruit, don't just be like, let me get some fruit around to sort of staple it on. Go like, what is going on inside? Look back to what the disciples said when Jesus does this. Verse 20. When the disciples saw it, so Jesus cursed this tree and it withers, right? When the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, how did the fig tree wither at once? I get that they would say that. I would just like to point out that the disciples have seen way better miracles than this one. (laughs) Right? They've seen Jesus walk on water, you know, raise Lazarus from the dead, turn water into wine, take loaves and fish and feed thousands of people. They've seen some stuff in the last three years. And then here, they're like, man, the fig tree thing, huh? That's cool. <laughs> like, how did he do that? I'm like, this is way, I think the fig tree is easy for him uh, on, on the level of miracles and things he has pulled off. But, and, and they didn't think, oh, this must be judgment on the temple. <laughs> they didn't think, you know, they're not piecing that all together, right? They're just like, whoa. I mean, as, as you would. <laughs> You'd be like, whoa. He just made the tree die. And Jesus answered them, truly I say to you, get this. If you have faith and you do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. I don't know about you, but doesn't that sound like a blank check that he just wrote? Like, yo, whatever you want, if you've got enough faith, uh, you're going to get it. Okay, a couple things here. One, he says, if you say to this mountain be thrown into the sea, it will happen if you, if you want it to. Where is he standing when he says that? Near the mountain, the temple mount, where the temple is. And so on, on one hand, it could be just a, a commentary on that. Like the temple is going to be dist- thrown, thrown into the sea. The temple will be destroyed, and, and you're going to see this happen. But another, thing, another way to look at it is that rabbis in that day would use that term, like moving a mountain, as, as a way of saying, doing something really hard that seems impossible. And so maybe he's just saying, you're going to be able to do really hard things that are going to seem impossible um, and, and, through, through prayer. And he says, whatever you ask in prayer, you receive if you have faith. That's a really challenging um, prayer. It's a really challenging statement. And let me keep this real, right? Sometimes I've asked for things in prayer and I didn't get them. And you have too. And it makes me wonder if this is wrong or like a typo. Like, or, so one of two things I go, this either doesn't work or the other conclusion is I didn't have enough faith. That's why I didn't get it. Because sometimes you pray and she still passes away from the sickness. Sometimes you pray and he still cheats on you. Sometimes you pray and the economy goes south and you still lose the job. Sometimes you pray and you're not reconciled with your son. Like that's real. And and, and are you going to beat yourself up and go, I just didn't have enough faith? But think about some context. This happens on Tuesday. On Thursday, very near where they're standing. Jesus himself is going to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane before he gets crucified. And he's going to say to God, if there's another way to do this than me being crucified, let's do that. Because this is, I don't want to go through this. If you can think of another way, let's go that direction. And then at the end of that, he's going to say, but not my will. Your will be done. And he's going to get up and he's going to approach his accusers. He's going to be arrested and crucified. Jesus prays and he doesn't get what he's asking for. Is it because he doesn't have enough faith? No. I think it means this isn't the blank check that it looks like on the surface. I think the point is, faith is critical to how we live. At the root of the fruit is faith. That's the way we live. That's the way we move as disciples of Christ. The currency of the Christian life is faith. Is God going to do always what you want when you pray? No, he doesn't give me what I want. I think he gives me what I, what I need. And I've walked with him long enough to know that's true. But he doesn't always give me what I want. He doesn't give me my preference. But it doesn't mean he's not good. Um, It's mysterious, I think. But I think it's true. Disciples of Jesus need to live and move and act out of faith. That's at the root of this thing for us. Um, And I I think why faith matters, the, the reason I think faith is so important to Christianity and to being a disciple of Jesus is because so much of life and so much of what we try to do is not faith. We try to act it out on our own strength and our own reasoning. You say, God, I want to do this thing. Uh, What do you want me to do? And God says, you know, do this. And then we go, well, could you explain that to me and just tell me how that's going to work out? Let me know if it will work out okay. And then I will consider whether I will do that or not. That's not faith. All that is is trusting your own sense of logic and reason. God, if I can reason this out, then I'll do what you say. That's not what he calls us to. That's not what the relationship looks like. He says, trust me, step out, take a risk. That's living by faith. The way you and I are going to have any potatoes underneath that gravy is if we act out of faith. So to finish out then, two questions. Number one, um, are you bearing fruit for God? Think about your own life. Are you growing in those areas? Um, what, what's what's happening there inside? Um, and, and think about the pruning that might be happening to, to grow more. And then number two is this question. What is one area of your life right now that God is challenging you to live by more faith? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I... I uh, Thank you for the moments that you give us, where we uh, we think things are going fine, and then you prune us, you cut things back and out and away, even things that are healthy or things that are growing, so that something else can grow. Um, God, that's unpleasant most of the time, but it's necessary, and so I, I pray we embrace that. God, as we look at being loving, joyful, peaceful patient, all that. I I pray that you work that stuff in our lives and and help us to just grow as people of character. Build something in us, Lord, that we're not going to learn at a job skill. You're not going to learn in college. We're not going to learn just, you know, in hanging out with some friends or whatever, just playing games, but we're going to learn this because you're going to build this into us through your spirit. I pray you build this into us and make us more spirit-filled, fruitful, people and make us a more spirit-filled and fruitful church. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.